Good morning. Welcome to all souls. If you're here because you want to worship with us, you are welcome. We welcome anyone, whatever their theological or political persuasions, whatever race, gender, orientation, origin, or background. And we welcome questions about the great issues of life. I'd like to extend a special welcome to any guests. We're very glad that you're here today. We hope you enjoy this service. And we hope that you'll find this a friendly place. Uh, Perhaps you would like to join us after the service down the hall for coffee and conversation, or tea, or water. Uh, We'd like to get to know you a little better. If you're here and you're willing to let us have a record of your visit, we'd ask that you please fill out one of the white cards in front of you in the pews and then put those in the the basket when the offering is passed. Um, Also, there are people at the visitor's table out in the foyer who are ready to answer questions if you do have questions about our church. Are there any visitors who'd be willing to stand and introduce yourself or any members who have a guest they'd like to introduce? Well, the orders of service include announcement sheets. In those, you can find the activities that are a part of our church uh, and all the things that go on here. If you would like to, you are welcome to attend any of those. You do not have to be a member to come to our events. And there's usually contact information listed with those events. Membership is open to all who are willing to support and participate in the life of this church and who contribute financially to the extent that they're able, and those who affirm the principles of Unitarian Universalism. If you'd like to know more about what that means, there's information in the foyer and also people uh, out there who can answer questions. With a little bit more about that, here is our membership chair, Ron Thurston. Morning. Uh, we will have an information session today, uh, about 12.30 down the hall. Usually we uh, hang out in the uh, uh, the big kids, the uh, high school room there with the nice, easy chairs. Uh, I've got a great video, uh, DVD to show you. Uh, we will talk about Unitarian Universalism. Uh, we'll talk about All Souls, Shreveport, what's going on here, and how you can join this fine congregation. So if that appeals to you, it's open to all. Please join us, new members. If you have not had your picture taken, Bob Wood is here, and he is our photographer, and he would love to take care of that for you. If you have any questions about the session before the session, see me in the foyer. Thank you. As we move towards the body of this service, which is an intergenerational service today, so the children will be staying in here with us, we ask that you would please turn off or silence all electronic devices. This is the time to do it. Before we begin, I wanted to make note of something that was omitted uh, accidentally from your order of service. A lot of the liturgy that the middle school class will be doing today uh, was adapted and abridged from uh, the work of Connie Barlow. She and her husband, uh, Michael Dowd, were here recently um, talking about their evolutionary theology. In the beginning is the great radiance. In a moment of grace, all of space, all of time, and all energy flares forth from the primordial mystery. From this great radiance, the universe will begin its great journey. Will you please repeat after me? 
We must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. We must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. As we move through the service, the small chime will signify a call that will be followed by that response. As the energy of the great radiance expands and cools, matter emerges and coalesces into the communion of galaxies, billions of galaxies. At a moment of grace, the first stars ignite within these galaxies, fueled by the marriage of matter and gravity. All the calcium in our bones, all the iron in our blood, all the carbon and nitrogen and oxygen in our DNA, all these and more are forged in the bellies of giant stars. You are a child of the stars made to stardust. May you sparkle with the creativity of a billion stars. Among the billions of galaxies can be found a lovely spiral galaxy, the Milky Way. Within the Milky Way galaxy, a second generation of stars is flaring forth from a primordial hydrogen that has become a rich brew of stardust forged into the bellies of the first stars. With atoms of silicon and calcium and iron in existence, planets are now possible for the very first time. One star to form at this moment of grace is our sun. Too small ever to become a supernova, our sun instead will provide its nine planetary children with a secure and steady banquet of starlight day in and day out for billions and billions of years. Oh, what creativity might arise from this new star system. In our hearts, we call forth gratitude for the light of the sun. We must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. Will you find in your order of service the unison affirmation? Stand in body or spirit and say those words with me. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the sacred. Thus do we covenant with each other. On earth, darts down from sun, a moment of grace occurs as the planet cools. Water condenses from the steamy atmosphere and rain falls for the very first time. Rain falls and falls. The oceans fill and begin to and begin to respond to the moon rolling with the tides. In our hearts, we call forth gratitude for the gift of liquid water. We must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living The rain carries vital salts and minerals into the ocean waters, while magma continues to refresh Earth's crust. In the moment of grace, emerging from rock and water, the first living cell pulses into existence. From that cell will come all of the creatures of the sea. Forever after, life on earth will build cells and bodies from liquid of water. We are water creatures on, on a water planet. Our, our blood still bears the traces of the salty sea. We must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. The oceans teem with bacteria, algae, jellyfish, sponges, tribulites, urchins, fishes, and very much more. Some of the fishes live in shallow coves, their fins becoming sturdy pegs from, for scuttling along the bottom like crabs.
In a moment of grace, some of these fishes will fishes venture out onto the land, pulling and pushing themselves with their peg-like fins. They do this for longer and longer periods of time through the generations, longer and longer periods of time through the generations. Oh, wait. Developing the capacity to breathe air, the air on land. The earth, the home, the living Let us celebrate each day that we accomplish the struggle against the pull of gravity to stand on the land. Let let us take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. In gratitude for this place where we stand together on the land to celebrate our place in the web and to do what we can to repair its delicate strands, we will now accept the gifts of the people. Let us take a deep breath. And let it out slowly, and thanks for air and breath. In a moment of grace, amphibians give rise to reptiles, whose eggs can withstand the stress of dry air. Out of the reptiles will come dinosaurs, birds, and mammals. The dinosaurs easily claim the continents, the birds, the skies. Meanwhile, The mammals stay small and wary for tens of millions of years, resigned to a life of darting from one safe burrow to the next, favoring the cover of night. Then a great meteor flares forth from the heavens, crashing to earth, turning day into night for many months. Close your eyes. And keep them closed until I ask you to open them. And just for a moment, see the darkness, utter darkness. The dinosaurs die. The little mammals huddle and hibernate in burrows. And even now, this much farther along on our journey as human mammals, we know that need to go within, to seek shelter when we are frightened, puzzled, overwhelmed by the enormous changes life brings. Seek comfort for a short while in this cover of darkness as we enter the silence. And when the sun returns, the mammals begin to come out into the light. I invite you now to open your eyes and come out into the light. The great radiance of mammals is about to begin, and you are part of it. Your descendants will flourish amid a great radiance of buzzing insects, fluttering birds, and colorful flowers. One lineage of mammal will take to the trees. These are the primates. Feel your eyes moving now from the sides of your head to the front of your face. And notice that you can see depth now. Now you can leap flawlessly from branch to branch. You're right out there. Meanwhile, your heritage of night vision shapeshifts to accommodate the colors of the day. All the while, paws for scampering and burrowing are becoming instruments for grasping. I invite you now to study your hands. Admire your elegant, supple, primate hands with your depth-perceiving, color-sensitive eyes. And know that all of these were honed by the welcoming branches of trees. 
our cherished partners in evolution. In our hearts, we call forth gratitude for the trees of the forest that sheltered and challenged our primate ancestors. We must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. During our sojourn of the forest canopy, we lose powers, too. So abundant the fruit, our cells no longer need us to manufacture vitamin C because it, because it was all around us. As millennia pass, the primate physiology slaws off this responsibility. We lose the capacity to create this crucial enzyme. Dogs and cats and horses never lose this skill, but primates will come to rely entirely on plants for this need. share with all living things. When we eat fruit, we honor the intimate partnership forged between plants and us. We must take care of the home we share with all living things. We invite you to join us after the service to share fruit in celebration of our partnership with plants. As the climate dries in our original Eden, the African forest opens into savanna. We come out of the trees and spend more time on the ground and moments of grace, first learning to use tools for digging, then learning to hunt, to harness fire for cooking and warmth, to grow food as well as gather it, so that now we can create homes, villages, eventually cities, where we will stay from year to year. We develop language, art, and music. Take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. Religion begins with us in gratitude for all that surrounds us, grateful to live in harmony with earth, to be on this great journey, taking only what we need, remembering to give thanks and praise. We must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. We come today in the awful truth that in humans, inventiveness often outpaces wisdom and restraint. As Thomas Berry has written, the glory of the human has become the desecration of earth. The desecration of earth is becoming the destiny of the human. Farming has become overgrazing. Fire making now burns fuels in such abundance that we are changing the very composition of the atmosphere, blackening our souls. Reclaiming the past, revisioning the future. What is to be done? What is to be done? We can begin by reclaiming the wisdom and restraint of the past, relearning from cultures throughout the world and remembering our original religious impulse to be grateful for life on this planet. We as people of faith have a role to play here. My students should know that I'm all about making connections and proving that one thing can often be directly related to something that seems entirely unrelated. I find connecting seemingly random things challenging and fun, so here goes. I have found 
that practicing some sustainable habits makes me feel in some small way more connected to generations before me. When I learned how to make my own soap, I thought of my own grandmother making soap, and it feels good to know that I don't have to go to the store to buy some Irish spring. I may still need to buy the materials to make the soap and check on where they come from, but I know that making a batch of soap will last me for months and will be cheaper or the same price uh, as buying several bars of ivory or Irish spring in the store. Plus, it makes me feel connected to my grandma. When I garden, I think of my grandma gardening. And when I learn about and use natural remedies, I think about my grandma's book on herbs and their uses, and about her mother, a local healer and midwife, and the countless other female ancestors who made their own soap and didn't know who Sarah Lee and Betty Crocker were. They did these things not because it was cool or green, but because that was what they had to do. We know that we've made so many technological advancements, and we've certainly made things a lot easier for ourselves in several respects. But as an English teacher who just taught the Great Gatsby for the umpteenth time, I think of the Valley of Ashes next to George Wilson's garage and the book, and that progress also brings a whole lot of trash and that there are ramifications to all this advancement. Should we romanticize the past and get back to all the basics? No, but can't we learn some things from the conspicuous consumption and carefree living of the 20s as portrayed in Gatsby? I would hope so. We can do so many little things, and so many of us are already doing these things and have been for years. Buy affordable local products, reuse bags, recycle, buy in bulk when we can, support companies that support the environment, use natural remedies for pests and cleaning, Drive less. Ask ourselves if we really need that new pair of shoes made who knows where. Buy used items. Plant trees. Buy $2 seeds and grow some herbs. Help us further the greening of this community and join our green group, etc. At some point, it is not about some green living fad. It's about common sense and being, li- um, and being responsible and knowing that the whole world doesn't revolve around us. And it makes waspy young liberals like me feel good about ourselves. (laughs) And if folks don't see or feel the connection to their ancestors because their grandparents served them spam and tang, (laughs) maybe they can be inspired to take some small green steps upon reflecting on the Iroquois slogan adopted by the seventh generation company. In every deliberation, we must consider the impact of our decisions on the next seven generations. I have looked at the dusty baseboard in my house and wondered to myself whether that thin layer of dust actually provided any insulation. I did not wonder that because I am green and want to conserve energy. I did that because I am lazy and disgusting. I will wear decade-old blue jeans that are so threadbare that you can barely tell that they weren't even in style when they were purchased. I don't do that because I am green and want to avoid purchasing irresponsibly made jeans made of irresponsibly grown cotton from from halfway around the world. I do so because I am 
cheap and because I lack style. I'm not admitting these inconvenient truths as either a mea culpa or a cry for help. What I'm hoping to do is to point out that being green is easier and cheaper than we often think. My first example of this is my 1979 Ford pickup. Thirty years ago, my truck would probably have gotten about 16 miles per gallon. My truck does not have a working heater, a working air conditioner, or even a working radio. If I were less poor or less cheap, I might get these fixed. But if I had a working heater, air conditioner, or radio, I would be less likely to ride my bike to work. I'm not some sort of eco-martyr. I just happen to live close enough to work to be able to ride my bike. I bike because I'd be hot or cold anyway. It's simply gravy that I didn't burn a single gallon of gas biking the 16 miles I rode to and from work this week. It only took a couple of weeks for me to learn to enjoy biking to work. And during that time, I realized several things. I realized that it is important to check the weather. I realized that the wind blows from the south directly into my face almost every afternoon. I realized that the vast majority of drivers respect a biker's rights. I realized that I would smoke a cigarette on the way to and from work when I drove, but that I wouldn't think about smoking when I rode a bike. But one of the very first things I realized when I began biking to work is this. As much energy as it may take to bike up even a slight incline into a headwind, it's hard to imagine how much more energy it would take to bike up a slight incline into a headwind while pulling a 2,000-pound pickup truck. <laughs> the second thing I would like to mention is my lawnmower, which is one of the old-style push lawnmowers as featured on such television programs as Leave it to Beaver. As with my decision to ride my bike to work, my decision to purchase this lawnmower was not made because I'm some sort of eco-warrior. I purchased it because my previous two lawnmowers proved incapable of handling my side yard's harsh landscape, which is mysteriously sprinkled with large rocks and metal pipes protruding from the ground. With the push mower, these hidden artifacts cannot possibly damage either the mower, a window, or the operator. This isn't an issue, as even a twig is an insurmountable hurdle. As with riding my bike to work, using a push mower will not save the planet. But I didn't get it to save the planet. I got it to mow the yard. And I've come to enjoy mowing much more than I thought possible. What my push mower taught me is that I never hated mowing so much as dealing with a lawnmower. As much as I may hate the smell of cut grass, I hated the smell of gasoline more. I hated mixing gas and oil, running out of gas or oil, and tugging on a rope for 10 minutes in a futile attempt to get a mower started. <laughs> Most of all, I hated the noise. Birds are no longer scared off when I'm mowing. They follow my progress and root around in my tracks for tasty treats, making me sometimes feel like part of a weird and boring fairy tale. All I need to worry about now is rinsing the grass clippings off my mower before putting it back in a closet. The actual process of mowing takes roughly twice as long because I generally have to make two passes. But I actually feel like it is time well spent. To paraphrase Thoreau, I purchased a push mower because I wanted to mow deliberately. And to me, that is what living green is really all about, living deliberately. 
Living green is about common sense. Why should so many passers-by, including the Sportran bus driver who stopped his bus in front of my house, stop to tell me of a brother or a cousin or an uncle who lost a finger in a mower like mine? Is it my duty to point out to them that power lawnmowers aren't particularly finger-friendly either? <laughs> Living green is about basic human reason. When I was a 200-pound 7th grader, no one would have batted an eye if I said I had ridden my bike two miles to get an icy at the Circle K. Why should people, particularly people who spend their entire lunch hour on a Stairmaster at the Y, look at me like a freak when I get on an elevator at work carrying my bike helmet? Living green is living cheap. It is straining with all your might to get the last bit of toothpaste from the tube before reluctantly dropping it into your pile of to-be-repurposed empty toothpaste tubes. <laughs> Living green is a single large bottle of vinegar rather than separate small bottles of Windex, fabric softener, dish detergent, Drano, and a dozen other single-purpose products. Living green is living easy. You should still dust your baseboards, but you can at least switch to LED bulbs and not have to change a light bulb again for another decade or two. Thank you. <laughs> Living an environmentally responsible life makes me feel connected to previous generations because if we had listened to our grandparents when they told us not to waste, we wouldn't be in this mess. And it makes me feel connected to future generations because every resource I refuse to waste is one my grandchildren's children can enjoy. We can revision our future, remembering the stars from which we came, remembering that we are Earth, participating in its own healing. We must take care of the Earth, the home we share with all living things. Yes, the service is ended. Go in peace. To celebrate this day every day in gratitude for life on this planet. Blessed be.